Uh, it's a good song. You need to go home and listen to it. You've got to practice that. It's such a great um, response song, really. We should hear a loud boom back. The boom back coming from you guys ought to be louder than what you hear from the stage. They're asking the question, is he worthy? We ought to sing back, he is, and we ought to sing it in a celebratory tone. That comes from Revelation 4. It's going to be a couple weeks before I get there, but John is, remember John is hearing messages, but he's seeing things, and one of the things he sees is a scroll, and it's sealed, and the message is, who can, who is worthy to open the scroll? And the scroll is the Lamb's Book of Life, the names of those who get promoted to glory, and and John gets nervous because he realizes that if that book is not open, no one is saved, and he starts to panic. And he's he's looking around saying, is there anyone worthy? Who is worthy? And then the lamb steps forward. Jesus Christ says, I am. My blood was shed for these. And he breaks the seal and opens the scroll. So we'll be singing that throughout our series. You ought to practice it. That's mandatory practice. Go home and listen to it. I believe it's Chris Tomlin. Uh, Many other people have sang it. uh, But I encourage you to read it and practice it. Worship, watch, and warn. That's the three themes that we're going to get out of a key verse today in Revelation. We, we don't have to guess what the book's about. We're told what the book's about. And for us as believers, it's written to us. And it's not meant to scare us. It should be a book that encourages us to do three things. We worship the Lamb. Amen? We worship the mighty Lamb who made all things possible through His sacrifice. But then we watch, and we're not watching for the Antichrist. We're not watching for the end times. Those things are happening, and God says they're clear. You'll see them, but that's not what we're watching for. We're watching for the Lamb to return. That's what we're watching for. Again, you might not agree with my timetable, but I believe that Jesus Christ is coming again twice. The first time he's coming, he's coming in the clouds. He will not touch the earth, but he's coming to get us, his bride. That's the next event on the eschatological calendar us, the church. He'll come and take us. And we go with him to paradise and wait while the tribulation takes place. And the tribulation then takes place. At the end of the tribulation, he returns again. The second coming of Christ, where he will come and he will come to earth. And we know he's going to appear in Jerusalem. I went to the eastern gate to see the exact location. It's amazing. Uh, uh, They Everybody in, in that part of the world knows biblical prophecy better than we do. And so those that do not believe or, or do not want Christ to return to the eastern gate, they put a cemetery there. See, a rabbi can't step foot on ground that uh, is, is where dead people are. It would make him unclean. And so they thought, well, we'll show him. They sealed the eastern gate and they put a cemetery right there. Like, ha-ha. Well, they don't understand that Jesus is coming from the clouds. He doesn't need to touch the cemetery. He doesn't need to go through the gate. He'll crash that gate. That party's getting crashed. He's coming, and he's going to come, and he's going to judge. And so we worship. We watch for that next coming of Jesus when he comes to take us home. And then we warn. We warn others that don't know him that there's a judgment that's coming. And so none of this is meant to scare you. I hope it doesn't scare you in any way. Let's pray this morning as we open the first chapter of Revelation and begin to read. Would you pray with me? Would you pray, God, I know there's something for me to hear. I'm willing to listen. God, I know there's something for me to hear, so I'm willing to listen. 
And God, I pray you'd be glorified. I pray that everyone hearing this would be, uh, um, what is it? Edified, and that Satan would be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You might need to finish the rest of the sermon today. Like I said, it's been a rough week. Um, The big idea, I must live in light of Jesus' revelation of himself. We We remind ourselves that the book of Revelation is from Jesus Christ, but it's about Jesus Christ. And so the first of our big ideas is going to be, I must live in the light of Jesus' revelation of himself. Are we living the topic of our series? Are we living, worshiping, watching, and warning? Are we living that out? Uh, Shrek had all passion for this. The message of Jesus was everything to him. I don't know if you've ever heard him say this. Probably all of you have had the same experience as I have with Shrek. We would meet on Thursdays for breakfast quite often. And, and one of the things we'd always talk about in, is uh, sharing Jesus Christ and, and how many people can get the message of Jesus Christ. And Shrek would always say the same thing to me. He would always end that with just, you know, that bellow. I mean, everybody in the restaurant had to be like, what is going on over there? Because he gets excitable. And, and he would do this loud voice. He would get, it would get louder and louder and louder and louder and louder. And then he'd look at me and he'd say, souls 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 everybody was like what is he talking about but shrek would be talking about souls souls people need to know about jesus and he was all about that oh revelation tells us to live our lives in light of that the key verse out of this week's passage, Revelation 1.18, this is Jesus saying, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Is he worthy to open the scroll? He is. Is he worthy to, to open the gates of Hades and rescue? Yes, He is. He is worthy of that. So let us worship him today and watch for his return and warn others that a judgment's coming. I want to, I won't be able to do this every week because of the length, but today I want to start. It's our first session. I want to read all of Revelation 1 out loud, and then we'll go through verse by verse. But if you've got a text in front of you, you can open up Revelation. I'm going to do it on the NIV today, but if you have the ESV or King James or whatever you might have, you could, should be able to follow along in your own copy there. But it should be on the screen as well, I believe, as I read. But let's just read the whole context. I'll try not to stop. I get excited, but I'll wait. Revelation 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, 
Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him. All the peoples on earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patience, endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus on the Lord's day I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus Smyrna Pergama Thyatira Sardis Philadelphia and Laodicea I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands And among the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a gold sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. May God add a blessing to the reading of his scripture and this time I can promise it because he guarantees a blessing. Revelation is the only book in the Bible that starts with an outright blessing for those who read it aloud and who hear it and obey it. I love that. You are going to be blessed today amen you're blessed you read this and you should not walk away having nightmares you really shouldn't one of the problems with revelation and i might have shared this is that many christians start studying and get so into it that they think it's some kind of a time clock we start seeing it as a clock tick 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 as a basketball player you're not going to believe this, but back in the day, I could actually hoop. I, I could. I mean, I know it's hard to envision now, but I, I used to be quite the stuff. And so uh, in high school, I, I was uh, the leading scorer on my team. I averaged 25 points a game. And every once in a while, you get one of those close games, right, where it's coming down the last 10 seconds. You're with me. Look at him. I know you're with me. 10 seconds on the clock, and you know I'm going to get the ball. I mean, I just know the coach is going to say, okay, you got to pass here, pass here, get down the ball. And let's, you either, Don, you drive it to the hole and get fouled or make the shot. I lived for that. I had prepared for that. I don't know how many basketball players are here that grew up on a court someplace. I had a, a basketball court in my driveway at home and all the cars would be cleared out and, and I would constantly do the same thing every day. I'd get the ball and I would go 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 
five, four, three, two, and had practice the shot every day. So I'll tell you one thing I didn't do when the high school coach said, give down the ball. What I didn't do was get the ball inbounded to me and stared at the clock watching it. I didn't stare at the clock because if you're staring at the clock bouncing the ball, somebody's going to take it away. If you're focused on the clock, you're not focused on the game. You're not focused on what needs to be happening in the game. You'll lose the ball. And I believe too many Christians are losing the ball over the shot clock and the time on the clock. And they're so obsessed with who the Antichrist is and what the imagery is all about that they lose the meaning of the book. The meaning of the book is not for us to stop everything we're doing and stare at the clock. The meaning is get in the game. Get in the game. We know that the buzzer's going off someday in this life. There's an end to this world. You should know that. It should already be in your head. You don't need to be looking for the signs. They're already all around you. Earthquakes, fires, wars. Do I need to continue? Stop looking at the clock. The buzzer's about ready to go off, friends. I don't know when. I can't tell you exactly when, but we ought to be focused on what God told us to. Warn people. Souls. 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 That's what we ought to be doing. Not arguing about the clock. I don't see it anywhere in this passage that that was the concern. We need to be focusing on the revelation of Jesus and revealing him to as many people as we can. We got to walk through verse by verse and we're going to outline it for you. I'd encourage you to take notes. There's notes in the back. Throughout the whole series, you'd have a really nice outline of the whole book of Revelation if you followed along. The nature of Revelation, it's in its title. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can we have the passage just up and just follow me along as we go the rest of the time? It's the revelation from Jesus Christ, but it's of Jesus Christ. And he gives it to John so that John could then reveal Jesus. It's not written to scare believers, but to extend grace to unbelievers. We need to be telling others that Jesus is coming back and he is going to judge everyone. The Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what matters is, is what did you do when you were here? Did you proclaim him as Savior? Did you ask him to save you? When you stand before him at the throne, that time is too late. So we need to reveal to people there's a coming judgment. And then the blessing I already talked about. it To those who read, hear, and keep the spiritual content of the book, you're blessed. You get a blessing. I'd encourage you to read it. And, 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 and feel God's blessing upon your life as a believer. It's there. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. There's a greeting. It's from John. And it's from the Trinity. I, I, I don't want you to get so lost in all the verbiage. It's really beautifully written. But it's really simple what he's saying. Have you ever heard somebody that uses a lot of words to say something? I know you're saying, yeah, you, Pastor. You, know, <laughs> you use a lot of words to say something really simple. Uh, there's a lot of words there. But really what John is saying in, in verse 4b and 5a, he's talking about where it's coming from. This book is coming from the Trinity. God the Father, the eternal, timeless one. The God the Spirit. It's mentioned the seven spirits before the throne. The word seven is used a lot in Revelation. The word seven, the number seven, means total perfection. That's the imagery that it's supposed to use. And so 
This book is from the Trinity. It's from God the Father. It's from God the Spirit. And then finally, it's clearly from God the Son, prophet, priest, and king. And uh, verse 5, from Jesus, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us, freed us from our sins by his blood. That is who Jesus is. So we have God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. The message is coming from them. There's a dedication. John then moves into Jesus, starts talking about Jesus, what Jesus has done, what Jesus will do, and who Jesus is. Verse 5b, uh, to him is freed us for but keep going, and made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. What has Jesus done? He died for us, washed us from our sins, and makes believers kings and priests. We are kingdom of priests, the priesthood of believers. We don't have to go to man to have our sins forgiven. We go directly to God through Jesus Christ. You have that role now as a priest believer. Jesus gave you that role. But we can't get past the fact that he died for us. This lamb, his blood was shed and it washes us from our sins. Chapter 1 is simple, but it really focuses on that first one worship. When you read this today, I pray, you would understand who we have as a Savior. Do you worship Him? When we're singing songs of praise, does it stir your heart? Does it stir your soul when we sing songs about Jesus? The, the, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become His righteousness. Does that stir in your heart? Uh, I'm forgiven because he was forsaken. Do you sing songs and worship glorifying God, knowing that Jesus has done everything that needs to be done to free us from the penalty of sin and death? He holds those keys, by the way, of death and Hades. He holds the keys because the Bible says in Revelation, he was of the firstborn, he was dead, he died. His humanity, he did die, but he rose again defeating both death and sin. So he holds the keys to the gates of death and hell, Hades. By the way, terminology is important. Uh, when you hear words like Hades and hell, we transpose those a lot, but you need to know nobody's in hell today. Hell has not been decided yet. But we haven't gotten to, verse, to, to the later chapters of Revelation. That's when the judgment shall take place. That has not happened yet. In the timeline of where we're at today, the judgments have not happened. Therefore, nobody has been condemned to eternal hell. But there is a place called Hades, and that is where people are waiting in torment. It's like hell, but it's not hell. By the same token, I'd be very careful with this because some people really get upset by this. Nobody's in heaven. <laughs> nobody's in heaven either. The judgment has not taken place yet, and therefore it hasn't been declared who goes to heaven. There is a place called paradise. So currently on the timeline, nobody's in heaven or hell. That happens after the judgments. Jesus holds the keys to both death and Hades. So when the time comes and the judgments are done, then he will open the gates and those that are not saved will spend eternity in hell. They'll be cast there. And then those of us who are in paradise waiting for uh, heaven, we will go to our eternal home. So just so you know, those are, you got to get those things in your mindset. Don't leave saying, Pastor said my grandma's not in heaven. The Bible says when you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. That's all you need to know. 
oh, that will be glory to me, right? To, to look on his face, to be with Jesus, call it whatever you want to call it. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. Yes, Shrek left this earth and he went immediately into the presence of Jesus. Got to see his baby child he hasn't seen for so long. Got to see other people. I talked to Doug this week and Doug was excited that Terry had probably made contact with his daughter. I mean, uh, we're excited that yes, it's true. When we leave this place, we're with Christ and in paradise. And it's a positive thing. What Jesus will do, verse 7, he will come for his church and then will return after the tribulation to judge. I talked about that earlier. Who Jesus is in verse 8. He's the Alpha and Omega, the eternal and sovereign. Alpha and Omega are the two beginning uh, alphabets uh, of the Greek alphabet. Alpha, Omega. So it's R-A and R-Z, basically. He's the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And that's what the Bible says, eternal, sovereign. The book is dedicated to him. Then there's a description of John in verse 9 through 11. His condition. Let's look at that. I, John, your brother and companion, the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So my first question is, what is his condition? John, as a prisoner, as, as someone who... We know loved the Lord and the Lord loved him. The Bible says that Jesus and his beloved one, he loved John. What is John's condition? Well, he is worshiping, watching, and warning. And that's what he's saying in verses 9 and 10. He's he's worshiping Christ. He's got the vision of Christ. He's seeing it and he's remembering what he has done, who he is, and what will come. He is worshiping. He's watching And he's going to be the one who warns the seven churches and then finally to us that there's a judgment coming. John epitomizes the series that we're in, the book he wrote, Worship, Watch, Warn. What's his command? In verse 11, he's to write and send. In verse 11, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And the seven churches of that area were Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. We call it Laodicea. Don't get caught up on it. Uh, it was however you want to say those, right? The seven churches. Starting next Sunday, two-part on the seven churches in Revelation. So that's what we go to next. That's what John's command was to do, right? Send. And then we see the vision of Jesus. That's where I want to focus today. Remember last week I taught you about Revelation. One of the keys you need to know is pay attention to what is heard and what is seen. Quite often John hears something proclaimed and he turns and he sees where it's coming from. And this is what we get today in Revelation 1, verses 12 through 18 and verse 20. He describes Jesus. Here's what I want to tell you today. Simplify simplify. My wife does this to me quite often. She did it to me last week at Discover Oakwood. We had all, you know, the new people are here and we're going to talk about things. And we're supposed to go around and introduce ourselves. I get kicked under the table. Any of you men ever get kicked under the table? First thing, men, I'm going to help you today. First thing, do not look at the person and say, why did you kick me? Because then she's going to say, kick you again, right? Because the kick under the table is supposed to not be talked about. It's supposed to be a reminder. And she, she kicked me under the table and she said, kiss. And I know what kiss means. That means don't plant one on it right here in front of the people. That means keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple or keep it short, silly. That's what she says. She would never say stupid. So she likes to say, keep it short, silly. And, and I'm reminded, let's keep it simple. And in Revelation, it's very easy to get caught up in verbiage and in figurative language. 
what John's going to do is give you a description, and you could get totally lost in all of it, but let me just break it down and say what he saw. What he really saw was worth, royal, purity, deity, wisdom, discernment, omniscience, righteousness, holiness, and glory. He heard the voice, and he turned around, and he saw First, he saw the seven lampstands. And by the way, the seven lampstands refers to what we have today as the menorah in the Jewish faith. The menorah is supposed to represent Jesus, the light of the world. The menorah, or that, that lampstand, as it was called back in the Mosaic time frame, was in the temple, in the tabernacle. And you'd walk in and there'd be this seven-tiered candelabra. And, and it was to represent the Messiah, the light of the world. At that time, it was the one who was to come. So when John turned and saw, he heard the voice, but he turned and saw, he saw the seven lampstands, but then he saw Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he saw things like, let's look at it, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone, like a son of man, simply put, that's human, son of man, son of Adam, a man type person humanity dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet i mean don't get caught up too much i mean it talks about uh, his worth his worthiness don't forget uh, a lot of imagery has to do with that train um, and the bible talks about the, the bride and she has a long train and the train behind the bride the longer it is the the more pure she's supposed to be and more respectable and so uh, you know a lot of weight was put on that imagery of this long train all the brides today don't want those because they're a pain and they get dragged and get dirty and nobody wants them and i'm like you're missing out on the pretty the pretty imagery you're supposed to have a long train get a long long train and the Bible uses when it talks about dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet. I mean, his, it's talking about his, his worthiness. He is clothed properly for his honor with a gold sash around his chest. Some of you are like, what? That's a gold sash. I mean, what is he trying out for Miss America? That's the only time we know about sashes today. And we're like, what is a gold sash? Well, we know that the high priest always wore gold around their chest. And this is just referring to him as the great high priest, his, again, his purity and his deity. And his eyes were like a blazing fire. I really love seeing some of the artwork. You ever look at the artwork from Revelation? People have tried to draw these images, and that's where you have nightmares. <laughs> and, and I want to say, when you start looking at this, you got the fire eyes and the sword coming out of the mouth, and you're just like, ah! Can I just remind you, middle school English, the words like and as. This does not say his, his eyes were fire. This doesn't say that a sword you know, was cutting people that was coming out. Of, no, no. It was like a fire. It was as gold. Don't forget this is figurative. He's trying to explain what he saw and he's using terms. But really it's about his purity, deity, wisdom, di discernment, omniscience, righteousness, holiness, and glory. You can really sum those up and say, Jesus is this. Or you can go get the picture of the sword coming out of the mountain, fire, and the, you know, that's fine too, but it's kind of weird. Uh, go to the next, sorry. Uh, his feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. His voice wasn't 
gushing waters. His voice was like the sound of gushing waters. Continue on. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. Coming out was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. Again, imagery. Imagery so you could understand. This, this double-edged sword is the word of the Lord. We're told that the Bible, Scripture, is like a double-edged sword, right? And so what comes out of the mouth of Jesus is the word of God. I don't think Jesus has a sword always sticking out of his mouth. When you meet him, it's not going to be awkward like, okay, whoa, uh, you know. No. What comes out of his mouth is the word of the Lord. And it's sharp and it's piercing to the soul, even to the depth of the soul. And it cuts the marrow. But imagery, 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 imagery. What does it really mean? John saw Jesus in all of his glory. And he explained it the best that he could The next thing on us is the response. After seeing Jesus, he had to write all that down. He tried him. He did the best he could. He write down the glory of Jesus he saw. But what's his response? I love his response. Humble reverence and worship. I like what he said. And after I saw him, I fell down like dead. Amen. (laughs) Oh, just to fall down at his feet and think that this is the Lamb. This is the Lamb of God, the one who died for me, who loved me. He took my sins on the cross, and he blotted them out. My transgressions are gone. You you can't even find them anymore because they're gone. They're crushed underneath the weight of his blood. It can't bear the light of day anymore. It's Jesus who took away my guilt and stain. Ah, it's Jesus. So John's only response was to pass right out. At reverence, at worship. Uh, again, I, I, I chuckle at people that think about our rewards. You know, we say it all the time. Uh, if you have teenagers, you probably once or twice looked at them and said, oh, I'm getting a crown of glory for dealing with you, child. You know, and we talk about, we, we talk that way. And we talk about our crowns. And we talk about our home. And, you know, my mansion's going to be big because, oh, my goodness, all that I want. To, and, and the Bible just makes it so very clear. Honestly, our response is going to be John someday. When the Bible says every knee shall bow, I mean, that's what's going to happen. We're all going to get in the presence of Jesus and be, poof, dead on our face. Because in his presence, we're struck with who he is. And so all those diamonds we think we're going to get, all those crowns we think we're going to get, it's going to be very momentarily because we're going to get them and, poof, we're going to cast them at his feet. So don't be worrying about your bank account in heaven. We're all going to be broke underneath Jesus, and it's going to be a wonderful thing. We're going to have no need, but we're not going to be in opulence, flaunting our wealth amongst our fellow Christians. We're going to lay it all down. We're going to cast him at his feet. We need to respond like John responded. And then his command to write. I mean, really, when you look at the outline, it's not that hard to look at, is it? You see what John did? He's just saying, I was told to write, and I was told to write about this beauty of Jesus. And then he was told to write what he has seen, what is now, and what will take place. And that's what I want to lay out for you. Verse 19, let's put it on the screen. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place. The book of Revelation is very easy to outline and very easy to understand because it it is looking back at what Jesus has done for us, the past, looking where we are today, the present, And then looking to the future, what will take place? And Revelation is laid out just like that. Matter of fact, I'll give you the beautiful picture. 
hast seen past the vision of Christ, Revelation 1. Next week, we start two weeks in the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3 about the seven churches of Asia. That was what was happening presently. See, Jesus is going to judge the churches. He's going to tell them uh, some condemnations, but he's also going to give them praise and and tell them a fix, uh, what they need to do. So they deal with the present. This week was all about looking at who Jesus was for us. Next week, we start two weeks of looking at the present, and we as a church can look to the seven churches and learn from them. Church, Oakwood, have you lost your first love? Church, Oakwood, are you more concerned about your physical well-being and monetary wealth than you are on eternal things? There's going to be seven things we can learn from the churches, and that's what it's meant to be for us to assess today. So we've got Jesus past today present, and then the rest of our time is on the difficult things, starting in Revelation 4 through 22. We'll talk about the throne in the book, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the holy conflicts. Then we move to the beasts, the bold judgments, the fall of Babylon, the return of Christ, the thousand-year reign, the final judgments, the new heaven, and the new earth. It's broken down like that. And it's easy to understand. The next two weeks, not going to be too difficult, not going to be too weighty. But I want you to read ahead. Read Revelations 2 for next week and then be reading Revelation 3. Uh, we'll talk about the, four, the first of the seven churches, first four of the seven churches next week. And then the last three the following week. And then we step into these things. And I'll try to, try to teach those things as clearly as I can. But hopefully you can become a student. And even if it's hard to understand, I want to remind us of what we heard at the beginning. There is a blessing. There's a blessing for you in reading. There's no nightmare for you. Don't be shot clock watching. Don't be dribbling and staring instead of in the game. What are we supposed to be doing? Worship. Watch. Warn others. That's what it's all about. Let me pray. We'll be done for today. Father God, I do... I don't need to pray a blessing. I just want to thank you for the blessing. As our band comes to lead us out in worship, as we sing that Revelation song once more time, I I pray that we would understand the blessing we have. We are blessed immeasurably, beyond comprehension. We are blessed because we have a Savior. Oh, there is a Savior. There is a righteous Holy One who died for us, who took our place, substituted our sinfulness for His righteousness so that we can stand before you someday, the righteous judge, we can stand before you completely pure and holy. God, we thank you for that. We are blessed. When we read and are reminded of these things, we are blessed. And God, I just pray you would apply that blessing to every believer today here in the room and those who are listening, wherever they may be, that we would understand the blessings of being saved, the blessings of having a secure eternity, the blessings of knowing that death does not defeat us. There is no victory for death. It has been defeated through our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who holds the keys. Oh, we can't be locked up any longer we've been set free from our sins we're set free from eternity in hell god we are free from that because of jesus god we should be worshiping you we should be watching anticipating your return and we should be warning others a judgment's coming there's only so much time to get that right and god i pray we would witness to people Not to scare them, but to bring them to righteousness, bring them to forgiveness, to bring them to holiness, God, I pray. 
that we would be a church of worship, watching, and warning. In Jesus' name, amen.